I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. This is She Said, She Said. Harkness is senior news producer for The Daily Signal. Her work includes on-camera interviews, podcasts, documentaries, and investigative reporting. And she covers a wide range of issues from education to the economy to conservative feminism. She is also the co-host of a podcast called Problematic Women and is an editor at Bright. She's also a contributor to The Federalist and a visiting fellow at both the Independent Women's Forum and the Steamboat Institute. Kelsey, welcome to She Said, She Said. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. I'm so happy to have you and really (laughs) happy to see you today on this very snowy day. Tell us a little bit about your work at The Daily Signal. First of all, what is The Daily Signal? And then a bit about what you do here. So the Daily Signal is the multimedia news organization at the Heritage Foundation. It's one of these new media entities where you actually have a news outlet at a think tank. So I openly identify and own my bias. I am a conservative journalist. But from the start, I've been here for five years. My editors have held me to the utmost standards in journalism, went through a lot of training to do what we do. And I like to say we're we're more fair in our reporting because you know exactly where we're coming from, but we also report with the utmost integrity. Mm-hmm. We've seen a big shift in sort of the viewing and listening habits and readership habits of the public as it relates to journalism. And journalism as we've historically thought about it is really evolving and shifting how do you think about this shift that is happening and sort of where you sit versus where mainstream media sources sit i think about this question a lot because beneath it all i i ask myself is what i'm doing helpful or harmful to our national discourse right now and the way i view it is that Conservative media, these smaller outlets like the Daily Signal, were born out of a necessity because the mainstream media was not covering the conservative movement and conservative perspectives fairly. So in an ideal world, we wouldn't exist. We wouldn't need to exist. But there was such a demand for for news outlets that fairly articulated our perspectives and told stories about how policies are affecting real people from the conservative side. Unfortunately, the mainstream media stopped doing that a long time ago, and I think we're absolutely necessary to society right now. Some people would say truth is truth, right? Regardless of whether you're a conservative or a liberal or progressive or whatever terminology you want to attach to yourself. How do you think about that as it relates to the challenges that the media, as sort of broadly defined, is having? I would say that everybody has their own experiences. And yes, there are certain facts that 
both sides, you know, should recognize and use in their reporting. But people across this country experience life differently. And I don't think the media does a good job of telling conservative folks truths. Um, you know, they are constantly slandering any Trump supporter to be a racist, bigot, homophobe. And I just, I think part of the problem is the cluster of um, mainstream media journalists only live in New York and D.C. right now. And look, I'm one of them, but I am one of the rare ones that has the opportunity to travel the country. I've spent a week in middle nowhere, Kentucky, former coal town, and got to know people there and learn what life is like for them and, and how they view the world and how Washington is affecting them. I think I, I've also been to the border. I've seen firsthand some of these <laughs> border walls and fences. I've seen how hard our border patrol agents work and how in many cases they put their lives on the line to protect us from some very bad people who are trying to cross illegally. So I think my job in that regard is important and it's different because I'm able to get out there and, and tell these stories that just aren't being told in, in many of the other news outlets. You define yourself as a conservative journalist, somebody who transparently says, I am a conservative, but I can still be objective. How does that work in covering a Republican president? Do you pull punches where the president is concerned? I think conservatives' job is to hold the president accountable and to call him out when necessary and support him when necessary. Uh, you know, you look at what the Daily Signal and the Heritage Foundation has, has done throughout this presidency is praise Trump when he deserves it on are in areas like the economy, uh, where unemployment is at historic lows, specifically for women and minorities, which is just amazing. I mean, there are so many jobs right now that we can't fill. That's the problem in our country right now. We have too many jobs. And then we've also called out the president when, um, you know, he he's doing things that, from the conservative perspective, are damaging, like engaging in trade wars. So I had a little bit of um, fear coming into the Trump presidency, working at a news organization at the Heritage Foundation, where I didn't know how Heritage was going to react to everything the president did, and, and were they just going to support him across the board just because he had the R next to his name. Mm -hmm. I was relieved to see that didn't ha happen early on. They were not afraid to be tough with the president when they needed to and praise him when he deserves it. Is there backlash from other conservatives when you are tough on the president? There might be backlash from individual Trump supporters. I think there are a certain sector of Americans uh, who voted for President Trump and will stand by him, whatever he does. And that is their right. And if you actually go talk to them, they have very interesting reasons why they will do that. Within the conservative movement, there are disagreements. But I think on the conservative side, we tolerate disagreements in our space far more than liberals do. If you look at what's happening on the left right now, you're seeing everybody being told by party leadership that they need to get in line, that if they are a Democrat, this is what they need to do. And this is, these are the policies they need to support. There, you've, there used to be dozens of pro-life 
Democrats in this country. At the March for Life just a couple weeks ago, there was one. I think that says a lot. Um, I think it's becoming increasingly difficult to be a Democrat. And, and the party is just moving so far to the left that we now have the former CEO of Starbucks having to run as an independent because he says that party is too radical for him. Where in the past, he is he, he identified as a Democrat. So in addition to self-identifying as a conservative journalist, someone who who is not afraid to acknowledge your personal political ideology, let's face it, everybody has one, right? So you're being very transparent about that. But you are also a woman. <laughs> I am. <laughs> thus, yes, thus your participation on this podcast. How do you think about your role as it relates to other young women who are looking at uh, a pot- potentially pursuing journalism as a career, and especially young women who lean right of center, like you? I think of the way I grew up in high school and college. I was that student who was so scared of public speaking that I wouldn't even raise my hand in class. If I did, I was terrified about any backlash I would get. I did not know how to speak up and stand up for my values. The fact that I am on national TV multiple times a week now is mind-blowing to me. And I think anybody looking at me back in college would be surprised to see that. And, it, and you know, it didn't even take that long, which is the crazy part. Um, so part of, because of that experience, part of what I've made it my mission to do here as a female conservative in this space is to empower younger conservative women to speak up and stand up for their values. And my biggest advice on that front is first to educate yourself. So it is hard when you are on a liberal campus, which is what I was um, in during college. And most of them are. I mean, I think it's fair to say most of them are. Right. And so, you know, you are being surrounded by you know, liberal ideologies, and it's it's hard to decipher who to trust. That's a lot of, um, you know, what, what building your confidence comes down to is who are the voices on the conservative side that, that you can go to and you, you can trust that they are bringing you accurate information because I don't want to be out there promoting uh, facts that are not correct. And, and you really have to look at each policy and understand how complicated and nuanced they are. No policy is black and white, but if you turn on your TV, it certainly sounds that way. So I try to be a resource and, and provide advice on that front on how to educate yourself when you are younger so that you do have the confidence to speak up because we need young women on the conservative side speaking up now more than ever before. You've given great advice in terms of how you build your confidence. What other tools do you use to help to help you over overcome that? Um, if you're someone that struggles with confidence, and we've, ta- we've talked about this a ton on the podcast, we ha- we've had Claire Shipman on who wrote the terrific book along with her, her counterpart, Caddy Kay, The Confidence Code, which gives great advice for women and young girls about building their confidence and um, doing stuff, like learning stuff and doing stuff is, a, is one of their big tips. What else, what other advice would you give young women who struggle with confidence or older women like me? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I was just going to say, this is a difficult question for me because confidence is still something that I struggle with every day. So I started at the Daily Signal five years ago. And I think some people around here thought I would just be ready to go on TV with the snap of a finger. And I kind of knew at the time I was not prepared for that. Looking back, I I knew myself better than I realized. I, I knew that I needed more time before I could be a public face for this movement. And I think part of building your confidence is... Uh, recognizing uh, when to say yes and when to say no. And this is, there's no easy answer to this, but how do you push yourself without overdoing it, Mm -hmm. um, without getting in over your head? And what helped, in, in my own experience, what helped me finally get to the point where I said, I'm ready for this, is that I saw other people telling me that I'm ready for this. Um, I started getting asked to be a part of these other entities like the Independent Women's Forum, like the Steamboat Institute, uh, to contribute to the Federalist. And I, you know, as a woman, had to realize that I had to accept a com- learn how to accept a compliment. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that's very difficult for women. It's very difficult for me. Um, but I ha- yeah, I had to realize that other people were, were telling me that I'm doing a good job communicating our values and I am ready to take the next step. Mm-hmm. It goes to that notion of feedback, right? Feedback can be such a challenge for women because, and you nailed it on the head, we can hold ourselves to such a high standard of perfection, right? That it can be difficult when somebody gives us constructive feedback. But it also works kind of in the reverse in that we are so hard on ourselves and holding ourselves to such a high standard that we don't believe when they're actually giving us good feedback. So getting that balance right can be a real challenge for an awful lot of women. Not every woman, of course, I don't want to overgeneralize, But it does tend to be something that many of us struggle with, and I'm right there with you, 100%. What about other advice for taking that constructive feedback, right? If you're somebody who struggles with confidence, how do you not let constructive feedback kind of crush you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, first off, I I would say we all are our own harshest critics. I certainly am for myself. Part of that is is taking that little voice in your head and, and putting it aside and, and exactly what you just said, um, realizing you're not going to be perfect in everything you do. Um, there's very few careers. You know, I, I guess if you're in the communications field, you're in the wrong industry if you're a perfectionist. There's two different kinds of feedback you deal with in a career like mine where you're a journalist with a public face and that is one sort of social media mob twitter backlash and then the second is um you know the people who actually take the time to write you an email and explain in a couple paragraphs why you think you got something wrong or within you know my own news organization um being being criticized that's another form of criticism that i deal with 
Um, for the first part with the Twitter backlash, I learned very early on, if you're going to come into this industry, you need to have thick skin. And I decided not to pay attention to that because these people who are anonymously adding me on Twitter, they have no idea who I am. And I like to think if they met me, they would never say what they say online to my face. So that type of criticism, I just say, unless you know the person, don't take it seriously. Mm -hmm. If you know someone who is criticizing you, absolutely listen and learn from it. I think that, you know, in your 20s, you think you know everything and you don't. And it's important to realize that I'll never forget coming to Washington, D.C. So ambitious. I was trying to get a job on the Hill and in news outlets trying to figure out what I wanted to do and I said I'm coming here because Republicans are terrible about connecting with with young women and millennials and we need to do better and you know a lot of people pretended to be inspired by what I said and and there was this one guy who said yeah Republicans know we have a women's problem we know we have a millennial problem like you're not you're not special for recognizing this (laughs) and I think um you know taking people's advice to have more experience than us and, and listening to them is it's important to get knocked down a little bit but then you have to be able to get back up right right but you know you you hit on something that i think is so interesting you're right you weren't the first person probably to observe that but the idea that maybe you looked around and didn't see enough people doing something about it told you that clearly there's something here. Yes. So it and it was a course. man who told me that, of, of course. course. <laughs> yes, I'm, I have no doubt. <laughs> but it sort of works in reverse, that we, we can't forget that just because somebody may be younger and a little less experienced doesn't mean that the feedback they're providing isn't worth hearing, too. Um, and so I think that's a really important point. Let's shift a bit and talk about Bright, which is a really interesting platform that you are a part of. It's all female. Um, you are an editor of Bright, but but talk about what it is and how it got started. Yeah, so Bright, uh, out of all the different things that I do, which sometimes I look at my week-to-week schedule, I'm like, what, what am I even doing these days? <laughs> I'm <laughs> podcasting, writing, doing TV, uh, and then being part of uh, Bright. So Bright is a morning email for women by women. Every weekday you receive uh, a rundown of the latest in news, pop culture, politics, entertainment. You get a little cooking, fitness, maybe some news about cute dogs in there. (laughs) You get a little bit of everything. What I love about it is that you actually know who the each edition is coming from. So I am the Wednesday editor, which means every Wednesday, you know exactly who's writing it. You have my face below it. Um, you can hold me accountable. And it's it's honestly just like a conversation with you. It's like if we were sitting in a room right now and I'm just telling you the rundown of what went on yesterday. And the reason I can't take credit for starting it, um, it was started by the Monday editor, Lisa De Pasquale, and it was it is funded through the Federalist, which is a, a great news organization that actually employs more women than men. Um, They put an emphasis on that. Is that at all levels in the organization? Yeah, I mean, they are a small team, but they have more female writers than male writers. And they they do that uh, because they think we need more female voices out there. And they've supported this amazing product, which is a product by women for women. And I love it because I think women 
are different from men and we like to consume our news a little differently right it's a product where all the editors lean right but we try not to shove our opinions down your throat we try to be a little cheeky and fun with the news we try to really educate you and entertain you at the same time i think it's an amazing product i I like to think it makes my day a little more bright from reading it and and that's the goal that we make your day is a little more bright by reading it and it's also important because again so much of the media does that that calls themselves you know, straight down the middle journalism, they lean to the left. And we recognized an empty space on the conservative side where, you know, we could step in and instead of just complaining that we're victims, um, that the media is so biased and our views aren't represented, we stepped up and we did something about it. It's very empowering. Your podcast is called problematic women, which is terrific. So talk about what problematic women is. What's the focus and thrust of the podcast? So problematic women was born out of a article in Elle magazine that was headlined, how do we criticize problematic women with a picture of Kellyanne Conway, Ivanka Trump, Megyn Kelly, and and some other right-leaning women below it. And it was these liberal female editors pondering the question, how do we criticize these highly intelligent, beautiful, conservative women without being hypocritical? <laughs> Very difficult question for them. Uh, I'll give them that. <laughs> so, uh, and you wrote a great piece. I basically. thought, yeah, I, I thought this is this is just perfectly describes how women on the left view conservative women as problems that they need to fix rather than people worthy of conversations and debate. And so, I responded to that piece in uh, an article in the Federalist. That article took off, and I found that the women that I work with at The Federalists, we all kind of just identified naturally as problematic women. It, the shoe fit. Uh, so from there, we did, a, uh, we did a Facebook Live on it, naming a problematic woman of the week. Um, it did really well, and we realized we're on to something. This is something that other women identify with as well and we decided to make it a weekly podcast Mm -hmm. so we in the in the podcast we summarize the latest in hypocrisy on the feminist left and also again try not to complain too much try not to play victim but rather hold up champions of what what we what feminism means to us what where are some sometimes they're conservative sometimes they're not but where are some women encompassing our values what are they doing to reflect what we think is good for women your counterpart Bree Payton um, recently passed I'm so so sorry for your loss do you want to talk a bit about her and the impact that she had on your life and on other young conservative women Yes, so Brie Payton. <laughs> so she passed uh, just over a month ago. She came down with the flu very suddenly. It was within t- 48 hours where she was in the How hospital. Old was she? 26 years old, perfectly healthy, yeah. beautiful, bright girl. She worked full time for the Federalist. I I met her. Uh, three years ago when she started working for the Federalist and (laughs) I always thought she was older than me because she was so confident I I need to 
take a cue from her on the confidence front. But not the kind of confidence that bothers you. You know, she she was never overly confident. She shared her confidence with others and used it to lift others up. So she ended up being my podcast partner when we started Problematic Women. At first, we thought we would cycle different conservative women in and out. And when uh, when she joined, it was the second or third episode, her and I just clicked. Um, we had that chemistry that you need for a weekly podcast host that you, you can't really describe, you can't define. It just, it, it just happened. We clicked. Um, so every week for the past year, we were doing this Problematic Women podcast together. We had big plans for it this year. We are we are working on some changes, and uh, yeah, over Christmas she very suddenly passed. It's been traumatic. <laughs> it's been awful. The hardest thing that I've ever had to personally deal with. But it's interesting that you know a month out, every time I get really sad about it, I just honestly think about how how grateful I am that I was one of those people that got to know her, and despite all the pain that I've been through in the past month, I wouldn't trade that for the world because she has left such a lasting impact on this world and on my life. And I just feel so, so lucky that I was one of those people who got to have these interactions with her because so many people read her writing, followed her on Twitter. She had such a personality and it's been a loss for a lot of people. It's, it's it's hard, but I am just so grateful that I knew her. Yeah, yeah, I'm really sorry. It's tough. It's really tough. So, bright, problematic women, the Federalist, a lot of the efforts that you are working on, you're surrounded by other conservative women. And I think that might be a little bit surprising to people, given the fact that they look at sort of elected politics, and you certainly have wonderful, strong Republican elected women, but you don't have very many of them. And so the idea that you have this really strong, vibrant element of conservative journalism or women that self-identify as conservative who are journalists, I think will be somewhat surprising to people. What is it like, this sort of sisterhood, if you will? A sisterhood is a good way to describe it, and I have certainly realized uh, how lucky I am to have this and how important it is for me, both professionally and personally, with Bree's passing, to be surrounded by people who don't just write about their values, but they live them out. And you see the ways they live that out when us as a community suffer the loss um, of someone like Bree. It's amazing. I have women older than and younger than me who are conservative and we all, you know, try to lift each other up. I am mentored by so many amazing women. Molly Hemingway, I know who you had the honor of meeting just recently mm-hmm. is one of them. And who we'll have on the podcast. Yes, soon she's amazing. <laughs> she'll be much better than me. Oh, she will not. She'll, um, she'll be good too. <laughs> But all these women, um, you know, it's easy to feel lo- alone as a conservative women, woman, and, and it's, it's easy to back down. But having this grassroots circle of women who I can go to, whether it's an issue with something I wrote, something I produced, or whether it's something in my personal life, I can, I can go to them. 
they've all made me a better person. They've all challenged me. They've all believed in me. And, you know, sort of getting back to what we were talking about earlier with confidence, having a group of women around you to support you and to believe in you can have such an enormous impact on your life. And, you know, looking forward, I hope to pay that back in some way because I would not be where I am without all them. You mentioned earlier you self-identified as a conservative in college. What advice would you have for other young women who may find themselves in an environment that is very unsupportive of their conservative views? How would you advise them to be true to themselves? But how do they they create that space for themselves? My first piece of advice would be to be patient and stay strong because you might feel very alone on college, on a liberal college campus, but once you get out into the real world, you won't be alone. I mean, President Trump got elected president. You know, there are other conservatives out there. You just don't hear their voices reflected in the mainstream media. And my advice, if if you do feel alone, is to seek out some of these uh, women's networks, women's groups. And, um, you know, you might feel silly doing it and you might think I'm not like that political of a person, so I don't I don't want to get involved in politics. But what I've learned from the group that I'm a part of is so much of it isn't about politics. Um, So much of it is about life. And and you don't also you don't realize how often politics is about life. You know, when Mm -hmm. when you start having children and realize what's happening in their in your local school district and you need to know how to respond, how to get involved. Um, women who have some sort of experience in being politically active are going to be your support network there, and they're going to have a- advice on that front. So, you know, if you're on college campus, there's a great organization, Network of Enlightened Women. That's a great one. Um, Karen Agnes, who's the CEO, was on the podcast a few weeks ago. And, and also, you know, maybe seek out an internship in the conservative space, even if you don't want to enter a career that has anything to do with politics in your future, just forging a couple of relationships in that space that you can maintain as you get older could um, prove to help you in, in, in more ways and even professionally when you even if you don't realize it. Kelsey, we ask everybody who comes on the podcast for a single piece of advice, a life hack, or a mantra. What is yours? I mean, my life hack is uh, to order grilled nuggets from Chick-fil-A and then dump ranch and buffalo sauce on them. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Because they taste just like buffalo wings with probably a tenth of the calories. <laughs> I learned this heading into my wedding. That's a very helpful life hack. And in January. <laughs> okay, let me think of a serious one, though. <laughs> I love that. Um, I would give people the advice of practicing gratitude every day. It's so easy to get down on yourself, get down on the state of politics, the state of our national discourse, the state of your personal life, the state of your job. There's so much to be negative about. And it's easy to go down this path where you let that eat away at you. But I also practice yoga. I'm a certified yoga instructor. And 
yoga taught me the practice of of practicing gratitude where you take you know maybe maybe it's just a couple minutes but for me it's an hour of my day through my yoga practice I set aside and I think about all the things I'm grateful for you know with with Bree's passing you'd think I have nothing to be grateful for but that's where I found so much comfort that I am grateful for the privilege of having known her and being able to turn around these negative things in your life and practice gratitude is just so important for being a happy person and having a positive outlook in life because no matter what's going on we have so much to be grateful for and and if you just take the time out of your day to think about that I I think it will make you a a happier person it will it will make you a better person it will make you want to spread that gratitude to others yeah Kelsey thank you so much for being here I really appreciate it thank you for having me To learn more about Kelsey, please visit our website at www.shesaidshesaidpodcast.com. There you'll find additional show notes as well as a few photographs from our visit today. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please be sure to subscribe. We love hearing from you. As always, thanks so much for listening. Thanks.